Hello, everyone, and welcome to a brand new production from the Inglewood Public Library's Listen Up podcast. This new show is titled Passing the Mic with Inglewood Public Library and features interviews with prominent members of the community and prominent organizations within the community. This first episode is an interview with James Fugate of Essa Wan Books in Lomare Park. Enjoy. So, our first question, tell us about your business and uh, how it began. Essa Wan Books is an African-American bookstore. We have um, been in business over 30 years now. And we started, I don't know, back in the late 80s. And we sell primarily African-American books, African-American related material. But you might also find occasionally um, mysteries by anybody um, of any race or anything if they're good. You'll find political books. We carried the Trump, anti-Trump books when they came out. Um, But we'll carry, you know, pretty much African-American books. Last year, um, 2020, Publishers Weekly is a um, trade publication, but it's available to the public in the libraries and stuff. They named us the Bookstore of the Year last year. Wow, congratulations. Well, thank you, yeah, it was (laughs) amazing, Um, um, you know. And how did it all begin? Well, I got into the book business after college. When I was originally in college, I thought I was going to go into being a lawyer, um, but I decided that I didn't want to go into law school. Um, I thought when you grow up, and my grandfather was an attorney, uh, uncles were attorneys, mm-hmm. a lot of other family members were attorneys, and I think growing up you hear this, and I didn't know my grandfather, he passed away, both of my grandfathers passed away before mm-hmm. I was you know, really a kid, an adult, or yeah. even was aware. Yeah. Um, but you hear, you heard all this. So mm-hmm. I decided in college, you've heard this all your life. Maybe you should think about business. So I ended up working for a short period as a job developer. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I was having trouble finding another job mm-hmm. and decided finally to re- I read a book called What Color Is Your Parachute? Mm-hmm. And it's by Richard Boyle, still in print, and it's sort of an inventory book about what you like and how that pertains to a job. Mm-hmm. And it came up that the things I knew the most about um, were music and um, books, mm-hmm. because I had been reading Publishers Weekly since, I think, about 1973, mm-hmm. when I went to the library. I saw it one day. It had the books coming out that fall, and I just thought that was fascinating, and I started reading it. And I learned more about the business, and I decided that I could, I needed a job. I'd been mm-hmm. out of school, out of work over a year, mm-hmm. almost a year, and still living at home. And I thought, no, got to get a job. Any job mm-hmm. would be. So I ended up working at a starting at a small little bookstore, but within a short period of time. I was asked to come back to my old community college mm-hmm. and run. Um, they had five different campuses, and they they had a new bookstore firm come in mm. to take them over a lease firm, they called it. And 
they asked me to come in and, and run two stores and then they transferred me from Detroit to Florida mm. to run Florida A&M's bookstore mm. um, in the, like 1981. Mm -hmm. And when I got to Florida A&M, one of the things that they had said was that they wanted what they called the general reading books, which are these books we see all around here. Mm -hmm. They couldn't get them to sell. This was a large white firm and they didn't have many black colleges that they were leasing, but Florida A&M, as I saw quite quickly, mm -hmm. was very, very successful store and they had completely remodeled it and they were having some issues and they weren't going to give up that contract. Mm -hmm. And they brought me in and they, the one thing they said they really wanted me to work on was what they call trade books, which I looked in the first day I was there and I said, I can tell you why it doesn't sell because mm -hmm. you don't have anything here that black people would want to read. Mm -hmm. And... Florida a and in Florida a and M ended up getting a um, reputation in Tallahassee, Florida, as being a place where you could find all these black books. Mm -hmm. I went back to Detroit to work for a friend. Then I rejoined the book industry, and then they ended up transferring me out here to Compton, California, mm -hmm. to run Compton College's bookstore. And at Compton we developed a very a citywide reputation as having a very significant selection of black books. There was a black mm -hmm. bookstore in, in LA at that time called the Aquarian Bookshop. Mm -hmm. But the philosophy I've always had is that I will carry just about any book related to black people unless it's something that is really offensive. Mm -hmm. um, even though it might be perfectly legal to sell certain things yeah. if they're really offensive I'm not going to carry them and so we got a reputation and then people started asking me to come out into the community mm -hmm. to sell books at different community functions and I had met Tom Hamilton my partner um, and he and another partner um, Asamoah and Quanta mm -hmm. wanted to start a bookstore we sat down and I told him I didn't think it was feasible for them, um, Tom was married with three boys and Asamoah was married, but he worked at the Jet Propulsion Laboratory. Mm -hmm. And I thought, you have to run it full time. Mm -hmm. And if you don't really know the business, you know, hiring somebody to run up your business, I thought was a mistake. Mm -hmm. So we didn't don't go into business, but within a few months, this idea had begun to formulate in my mind that what I was doing on the weekends was my time with mm -hmm. um, Compton College. Mm -hmm. And it was definitely helping because I liked selling black books. Mm -hmm. And at one point at Compton, I thought, all these books you have here, you're not going to be able to keep because no one's buying them. Then I was asked by the college to set up at a, a big community event at the college. Mm -hmm. And it really turned the bookstore's general section around because people couldn't believe Compton College had this kind of inventory mm. and I was then being as I said being asked to go all around the city selling books and I really thought work I was working for Barnes and Nobles their college mm -hmm. division and I thought you're going out into the black community representing Barnes and Noble even though it was Compton College yeah but it made me very uncomfortable because I kept thinking at what point do you stop working for them and maybe work for yourself mm. um so I, I was up at the park at an event mm -hmm. and i saw tom who lives 
close by. I saw him coming up to the um, park to this event. It was a free Nelson Mandela rally. Mm. <laughs> and he had his young son, and I just loved the way his young son, you know, I think Steve it was, was about four, and Steve would always want to run right in the traffic because, you know, you can dodge cars. <laughs> but I loved how Tom would talk to people, but he was always keeping his eyes on Steve, and I thought, mm. you know, maybe you should talk to him about this idea. So I, and when he got over to me, he saw me, and he came over, and um, I said, you know, I've been thinking of what I'm doing on the weekends. Maybe the three of us could start doing ourselves, and Tom mm. and Asamoah loved it. So we started Esselon. Uh, we picked the name out of a hat. It means water over rocks. It's said to be the African name for Aswan, Egypt. Mm. And Asamoah had been to Aswan, and it's known as the Valley of the Kings, where all of these um, pharaohs and other things are buried under, mm -hmm. under the uh, Nile River at that point. Mm -hmm. And I thought, well, as water flows over rocks, so does knowledge flow through books. So we ended up selecting Esawan as the mm -hmm. name. And we started, a couple months later maybe, um, we started selling books. And about eight months after we started, we had found a little small location on Slauson. You've heard of Nipsey Hustle. Mm -hmm. It's right where Nipsey Hustle's store was at. Mm -hmm. We were at an old house next to that location, and we were upstairs probably why my back is still suffering from carrying boxes up the stairs. And we started there. Then Asamoah got an offer from um, JPL mm. that he wouldn't refuse. They wanted him to get a PhD in mathematics. Mm -hmm. um, he had a master's degree, but they wanted him to get his PhD. Mm. So they paid for him to go to school, paid him his salary, and he went back east wow. um, to do that. And you know, we've seen him a few times since then, but that's only because they've, they've come out here you know, yeah. to visit him um, or to something, you know, vacation. Mm -hmm. But um, so it became me and Tom. We moved over into Inglewood mm -hmm. at um, La Brea and Plymouth. Mm. And we were there for a few years. And I think the second, and I quit my job. Mm -hmm. I, I stopped working in maybe 1991. I quit at Compton College. Yeah. And then... I think in 92, yeah, because 92 we have the riots, mm -hmm. um, yes, and Tom was still working for um, Chevron at that time, because mm -hmm. um, we were open during that period, the whole week of the Rodney wow. King riots, we were open, yeah. it wasn't much business, mm -hmm. um, but we were open, and Tom, he would call and ask, was everything, you know, how things were, and uh, but then I think he quit that year. Um, that mm -hmm. end of, by the end of that year, he had quit, which was a big, you know, big step because you know, as I say, he's three kids, he's yeah. got to support. And but we were doing okay, and you know, we had developed a real reputation. So mm -hmm. um, Tom quit, and we took, you know, we start working full time, and we went from La Brea and Plymouth, where we were for mm -hmm. about five years. We moved up to La Brea and Rodeo or Coliseum mm. and then about 13 years ago we moved here to Lamert Park mm. and we were first we were two stores over in a bigger location and then the man that owned this building well he 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 died mm -hmm. um, 
took his own life, but he was he was a horrible person. So, because he took another person's life, and it um, absolutely was horrible. Um, and then this guy ended up. Another guy bought the building, and he wanted our location, and he offered us this spot, which was vacant. And we moved here, and so we've been here. I think eight or nine years. So. Wow. That's the short part of it. Yeah, that's, yeah, or, yeah, the short that's, story. That's uh, a lot of moving. A lot of moving. We've moved five different times, <laughs> but our customers have followed us. That's awesome. And I think a lot of times businesses are afraid, but, you know, we were never really afraid. Mm. I mean, we got used to... Um, you know, knowing what to do when we were on Slauson and in mm -hmm. um, and Crenshaw, um, and we moved. You know, people had some people had trouble finding us, but mm -hmm. we were fortunate. I think when we first moved over there, we started getting book signings um, shortly thereafter. There we go. We're recording again. So it sounds like with all of your moves. Um, were you doing anything different at each of those locations? Uh, were you changing your service slightly or? Not really, because we the reason we even opened up the store at Slauson and um, Crenshaw mm -hmm. is that, um, you know, we had worked and what we would do when we would do these weekend events, we would just buy more books. Mm. We wouldn't take a salary or anything. Mm -hmm. And as I say, we are all three of us were working full time. We didn't need a, mm -hmm. a salary. Mm. Um, but Tom had maybe 30 crates of books in his garage wow. and I had 20 in my little apartment mm -hmm. and, you know, it was always, um, we had given out little cards and stuff and people would always call and say, can I come and get this book? And you'd say, yeah. Mm. And then you'd have to search for it. And Tom he would say the same thing if he was here. It was always you'd go through every, and he knew it was there. Yeah. And you'd go through every box, and then it'd be the last box. <laughs> and both of us got tired of it. And mm. so Tom found, he went over to the, it was a store there called Africana Imports. Mm. And Tom was over there buying some clothes one day. And he, he knew this lady, Franca, and... You know, he said the place upstairs, you know, was available, mm -hmm. which was a house that had been converted to this little store. She downstairs. So mm -hmm. we took over the store upstairs. And with the rent, we knew that we could make the rent. Um, and then if we weren't working, we could be we could be open. But I, I felt if we took a location, mm -hmm. we should have consistent hours. So we decided to be open Monday through Friday, Monday through Saturday, Monday mm -hmm. through Friday, four to seven, mm -hmm. because one of us could always cover those hours. Mm -hmm. And then Saturday, 10 to seven and Sunday, 12 to five. Mm -hmm. And with three people, you know, as I say, one could always cover it. But I just yeah. felt like, you know, you don't want to get the reputation of you never know when those guys are open. Uh, but yeah. if you know they're only open, like now we're open 12 to 4, people know now. They're getting to know that now mm -hmm. um, and, and, and respond to it. Great. Um, Great. But if you're only open 4 to 7 or every other day, people are going to get very upset. So we started doing that 
And then at the end of the year, Tom's brother mm -hmm. ran the store that whole December full time mm -hmm. because of, you know, it's Christmas time and we thought, yeah. you know, people would be coming in. You know, the budget and the money we were making, I realized we could pay me the same amount I was making at Compton mm. um, without any loss or anything. Mm. And it didn't make sense to go back to that four to seven. And by then, Asamoah had left us. Mm -hmm. So it was just me and Tom. And so I said, you know, I think I should quit and run it full time. And, and you know, it took me a little while, but... Um, to do it um you yeah. know I, I started thinking about it but i also thought you know run, working for yourself yeah you know, having to make sure that you you know you can feed and clothe and you don't go broke and you know all that stuff that's scary it was scary but um <laughs> there's a book out there mama day um, by gloria naylor and mm -hmm. at the end of the book this guy is told that he has to follow what she tells him mm -hmm. And he is a very rational thinker. Mm -hmm. And what she's telling him doesn't make any sense to him. Mm -hmm. And he doesn't do it. Um, he doesn't follow what she's told him. Yeah. And it's still, it's, it's a great book. Mm -hmm. And I was reading, I, when I was reading the end of it, I thought, wait a minute. You've been doing, I've been doing books for over 10 years or almost 10 years mm. I knew the industry and I said you just have to have confidence in yourself and, mm. and so I I said you know because he he'd made the wrong decision um, yeah and well in a way I mean it's 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 because it's an interesting book because mm -hmm. you don't know really what's going on until the very end mm -hmm. um, you know and then it becomes apparent because I've read it two or three times. It becomes apparent, but you—it's very hard to pick up on those clues mm -hmm. that she's talking to him in her mind. Yeah, that he's passed on. Yeah. Um, so I quit, and then I say a few years later, Tom quit. Um, but we were also fortunate. Yeah. You know, I, I was just saying to—I think a lady interviewed me earlier this week and I said to her that one thing that isn't talked about was that in the when I was a kid and in, in the you know the fifth late 50s uh, you know six seven years old that's when you start really becoming aware going to school and all mm -hmm. of that stuff um, but if you read like when Dr. King and all those people come to prominence they changed America and really in 10 years mm -hmm. when Dr. King starts the Birmingham or leads the Birmingham bus boycott within 10 years the Civil Rights Act will be passed the Voting Rights Act will be passed and and really all legal form of segregation ends mm -hmm. and then there's other things that are pushed like companies hiring black people mm. um, all these things and so by the time I come of age after college there's a lot more opportunity for blacks because my whole family was opposed to the idea of um, me starting a bookstore mm -hmm. um, and you know they thought that it was ridiculous they thought I should have gone to law school mm. like I had always said um, because in their, you know, they're older, some of them were older, and the opportunities weren't there. Yeah. And they thought about retail, and I thought, wait a minute, it's a different world. I mean, 
the guy that ends up starting Barnes and Noble or taking it from one store on Fifth Avenue to mm -hmm. this mega corporation, mm -hmm. you know, he had a lot of experience in the book business, in the book, working in a bookstore. Mm -hmm. And he knew that, okay, I can do this. And I thought, when do blacks start thinking, mm. you know, that we can step outside of corporate America, mm -hmm. uh, you know, because a lot of the progressives are still talking the same almost foolishness I think in terms of oh the government has to do this the government mm -hmm. no we have a whole community here on this street of Lamert mm -hmm. Park there's so many businesses that are vacant mm -hmm. if we invested in our own community we could hire more people we could do more business so I just took the same philosophy I'd been thinking about and applied it to myself mm -hmm. and Fantastic. so yes yeah, here you are yes um, and so yeah all those partners seem so essential to where you've come today do you have current community partners that uh, uh well that it's me and tom work? are the main well the only owners of the store mm -hmm. but no we have always worked with organizations um, down the street you have community build mm -hmm. um you have the brotherhood crusade which are going to send i i think it's 25 kids over today or mm -hmm. 40 kids over mm -hmm. today and they're going to purchase books for them awesome um we have worked with um, Writer's Block, which is a big organization on the west side mm. that does these big signings. Um, she's going to do Colson Whitehead next month at, um, mm. in Culver City. Um, you know, she has put in a proposal for um, Obama and Bruce Springsteen, <laughs> which um, I've also put in a proposal. But they're not, they say they're not touring, but... Until they are. Yeah. <laughs> well, we have a connection with Obama, so. Oh, great. You know, you know, we hosted Obama back in 94 when Dreams for My Father came out. Wow. And it was a small audience, <laughs> but in 2006 when Audacity of Hope came out, mm -hmm. he told the publisher, he couldn't remember the name of our store, but he said, there's a store in Los Angeles that hosted me. Mm. He said, if they're still in business, that's the only store he would do. Wow. Uh, because we wanted him when no one else wanted him. And he said he remembered that signing, that we sat in a circle, and we said they peppered me with questions. They had actually read the book. Mm -hmm. There were. There were a number of people there who had read the book. I had read about half of it. Um, and I didn't think it was such a remarkable story. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, he became the first law editor of the Law Review and he does have the story of being a single father and publishing likes that. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, this is America and, and you can come from any background and achieve anything, mm -hmm. um, but you just need a lot of breaks and stuff. It's, yeah. it's not that, I don't like that, the way that sounds. It sounds like these conservative wackos yeah. who um, want to discount the impact of white supremacy mm -hmm. and, and because, yes, racism, you can overcome that. Mm -hmm. But in place of it, you have a lot of um, different organizations, a lot of structure in this country that is hard to overcome. Um, mm -hmm. When you came in, I was listening to a three-hour program on ending poverty. Mm -hmm. And there is, this country, as great as it is, could end poverty. Mm -hmm. um, but it does mean that, that the coffers have to be opened yeah. you do have to provide more 
money for services. Um, the city of Compton a few years ago was sued by parents because they felt the school system, the school board was, mm. that they felt that there should be more mental health services mm. for kids. And if you're growing up in poverty with parents who are, or a parent who is very dysfunctional mm -hmm. and you want them to overcome that, that that's very difficult. Mm -hmm. But if you're growing up in a poverty and you have a parent that loves you and cares for you and works to make sure you do your homework and do all these other things, mm -hmm. your chances of being successful are going to be, could have a very good outcome. Yeah. But we don't provide enough help to people who are poor. And we don't provide enough help for people who, kids especially, mm -hmm. who are in bad situations. Like the Brotherhood Crusade coming mm -hmm. today to buy these kids books. That That's just a great thing because COVID has closed libraries. Yeah. But also exposing them to books. I mean, as a kid, I didn't have many books, but mm -hmm. we went to the library all the time. Yes. And I think that is very important. So... You know, I like to make this distinction because the conservative philosophy sound is just insane. Yeah, it, it really is offensive in, in many yeah. ways because they know that it's not just hard work; mm -hmm. it's more than that. Mm -hmm. so. Yes, yes. Um, so yeah, on that topic of you know helping the youth, are there any uh, volunteer slash intern opportunities that uh, are available or could be made available possibly? No, we have worked with a young man who was at USC. He was mm -hmm. working for us. I think people have to have a real aptitude for books. Mm -hmm. Everyone keeps saying, "Well, what is the succession plan?" Mm -hmm. You know, because we're not going to be doing this the rest of our lives. Yeah. Um, but you have to have a real interest in books. Mm -hmm. um, and we just don't. You know, the last year or so, I, COVID has affected us to the point where the young man from USC, mm -hmm. he went back to Oakland to do Zoom classes. Mm -hmm. um, and it would have been, it's difficult, it's been difficult to even think about bringing a new person in yeah. with COVID. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, I, th I think we work with a lot of organizations, um, there are retired uh, social workers who buy mm. books from us, provide for kids. Mm. Um, yeah. You know, it depends. If a kid comes in and, and they really had a real aptitude, Tom's boys, if they wanted to enter the book business, they could probably mm. run it because, you know, they started working with us when they were probably 11 and 12. Yeah. Um, so they know a lot about the business, but, you know, it's not always your choice to see it pass. It might be your think, oh, you know, my son would want to take over this. They may not want to do that. Yeah, <laughs> that yeah. may not be their ambition. And retail is difficult, you know. Yeah. Yeah, it it's, it's, yeah, you've got to, it's, it's, you know, you've got to be there and know the business. Yeah, so the, speaking of the succession plan, that kind of leads me into um, what is the vision that you'd like to, you know, see or the world that you'd like to, you know, create around this store and this community, what would you like to come to be? Uh, I would love to see us have more businesses in Lamert Park. Mm -hmm. um, the Vision Theater, they're working on it, but they've been working on it for 10 years. Wow. Uh, they've built SoFi Stadium, 
they are almost finished with the subway mm -hmm. and we still don't have the vision theater fixed mm -hmm. um, the prior city council member was a disaster for Lamert Park mm. um, and now we do have Mark Ridley Thomas and he is very committed to this area he was here before he's back mm -hmm. and it is going to be finished but I think the eight or nine years we were under the prior prior city council member mm -hmm. was a disaster for not just for the vision theater but for Lamert Park because you know we have too many issues over here but I'd also like to see us have a citywide or countrywide initiative that we need good businesses mm -hmm. you know we have hot and cool a couple doors over mm -hmm. then we have a vacant store the store next to us, the guy is very nice. He does hair upstairs, but the bottom is vacant. Mm -hmm. uh, next to that, uh, the World Stage is an entertainment um, location, and they have stuff um, entertainment-wise, but mm -hmm. COVID has shut them down for um, yeah. a period of time. But we really need businesses here. And then on the other side of the app, if you cross the alley after Hot and Cool, mm -hmm. um, there's a group called Art and Practice, which has a, a beautiful museum at the end of the block, or art, not a museum, but art gallery um, at the end of the block. But COVID has had them closed until September. Um, but then the rest of the businesses over there, there's one business on that side, um, uh, Amina's art. Um, she, has, she has art and, and different things in her mm -hmm. store. But we need more businesses. It, mm -hmm. It's a big problem. Um, mm -hmm. When I moved here in 87, I knew within a few weeks that people talked about Lamert Park being like the black center of businesses. Mm -hmm. And when I came here the first time, you saw eyeglass place, you saw a dental place. Mm -hmm. you, you know, you had a lot of different businesses, mm -hmm. art gallery. Mm -hmm. You also had um, shops, little shops. Mm -hmm. um, but people do get older and a lot of those businesses um, the owners got older, one of them passed away, um, the other one closed their business, and nothing has come in to mm. replace that. But we do need investment in mm -hmm. terms of people, you know, yeah. investing. And in Ing city of Inglewood, you mm -hmm. know, if you look at downtown Inglewood, I, I drove up market the other day and I thought, this is not going to last. Not with SoFi Stadium being mm -hmm. here. The Frank Gehry designed um, place that's at Manchester and um, La Brea. There's a some kind of um, place that Frank Gehry, the architect, mm -hmm. who, um, mm -hmm. who did um, the museum downtown. Mm -hmm. um, there's some place he's designed there that's supposed to open this fall. Mm -hmm. So you're going to have all of this, and it's going to change. There are going to be people that look at it. And then some people are going to say, oh, it's gentrification, but I don't see our community walking in saying mm -hmm. to somebody young, oh, you want to do this? I'll help invest in that mm -hmm. and help them run it, you know. So, you know, I, I would talk to people all the time, but there is a bookstore that's opening in downtown um, L.A., a black bookstore mm -hmm. by a woman called, um, oh, She's named it after an author. Um, yeah, uh, the Salt Eaters. Book Salt Store. Eaters, yeah. So that yeah, that's opening um, in downtown soon. It's open now online, mm -hmm. but I think she's opening in maybe this fall. Mm -hmm. um, 
and I think that's what you need. You need mm -hmm. different places that are doing, you know, she has a love for what she's doing and a passion. Mm -hmm. So it's going to be good to see that. Great. Um, you know, now let's turn it back on, on me a little bit. Uh, yes. Is there anything that the Inglewood Public Library could do, uh, in your opinion, to bring oh. this future into reality? Um, purchase orders are always great from libraries. Um, you know, a long time ago, actually when I was at Compton, mm. the Black Librarians Association started, they wanted to buy books from Compton mm. uh, because they wanted to support what we were doing. But yeah. then when we started Esawan, they... Um, started getting us purchase orders and that was that's always a great thing mm -hmm. um i know the libraries have been struggling but when we were in inglewood we i don't think we ever got purchase orders from the city of inglewood but that that always helps bookstores great yeah, yeah. No, that, that's yeah and then you know we did programs i think with the city uh with the library inglewood library i think we did programs before mm. where we had authors mm. or we we sold books that's always a good thing because libraries have a, a lot of power the uh, main public library here in Los Angeles or mm -hmm. the city of Los Angeles's library has a um, like a nonprofit that's associated with them mm -hmm. and they bring in authors and we have partnered with them mm. um, we did a big thing with them in Ta-Nehisi Coates uh, a few years ago, and um, Ryan Coogler interviewed him um, for, I think, The Water Dancer, mm. um, his book. Um, and they did it at this church down here on Crenshaw, and we were the bookseller. Mm. It was really our event, but <laughs> <laughs> they didn't they didn't even mention us. Oh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but. The, yeah, it happened, and, then, and the community got to enjoy it. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, so you've mentioned a couple books already, but um, are there any others that you'd like to mention explicitly that have helped you uh, on this life path that you've taken? Um, oh, well, Richard owner? Boyle's um, What Color Is Your Parachute? I, I thought it was, it really was helpful. Uh, Mama Day by Gloria Naylor. Um, I love the Cheneysville Incident by David mm. Bradley um, because... It's a book that starts off with this guy going on a Greyhound bus from like some part of Pennsylvania mm -hmm. back to Virginia. Mm. And as a kid, I would take the bus with my grandmother from Detroit to um, a small city called Rogersville, Tennessee. Mm. And he starts off talking about how you quickly learn that you do not want to be at the back of the bus where the toilet is. <laughs> I, but I love that book because... Um, I wasn't so sure it wasn't somehow based on, you know, my grandfather or my, mm -hmm. my father's father. Mm -hmm. or, um, you know, it was it was very interesting. And, you know, I asked my aunt, to, she I got it for her and she read it and she said, it's not your grandfather. <laughs> and then my father read it and he loved it too. But he said that, you know, it wasn't um, our grandfather, his, his father. Mm -hmm. um, but it had a lot of similarities, and I think I've read it maybe four times, and, and I think it's a great novel about, you know, you take people out of their traditions and their mm -hmm. beliefs, 
And so the passage from Africa, what he, what David Bradley is is talking about is what we lost. Mm. And, you know, the middle of the book, he understands what his father wanted him to find. Mm. His father has died. And um, he's left him this valise that his mother never wanted him to have. Mm. Um, but once he gets it and sees what his grandfather um, was about, and he realizes his father wanted him to see this, we really understand what our traditional beliefs were. Mm. Um, but, you know, I've, I've read other stuff like that, and, and Mama Day to me is, has a similar theme mm -hmm. in some way. Because uh, in Mama Day, the guy has been taught that you can become what you want to become. Mm -hmm. Doesn't matter what the past is, you can go forward. Mm -hmm. His wife grows up off the sea islands of South Carolina, and she's taught that the past is part of the present, mm -hmm. and there are things that are deeper that we can understand. And I, I actually, I believe that. that mm -hmm. You know, I think that, you know, your first impressions of somebody, we are taught don't follow them, mm -hmm. but your first impressions of people, we should teach kids to think about why they are thinking what whatever they're thinking, mm -hmm. if it's positive or negative. Mm -hmm. Because usually, not usually, but if your first impression of somebody is that you have to be care very careful around them, there's a reason. There's something there that you can pick up. And Mama Day is about stuff like that. Um, Walter Mosley, I love reading Good Mysteries. Mm -hmm. um, he has a series. Most people love the Easy Rollins series. Mm -hmm. I think if you read all of Walter's books in the Easy Rollins series, which was made into a movie, Devil in a Blue Dress, mm -hmm. um, if Walter's actual first book had been published, he may not have ever gone into mysteries. Mm -hmm. Because his first book is about, are you familiar with Easy? Well, Easy Rollins and is a detective here in L.A., black detective. And, um, but we, Walter's first book has Easy in Houston with this guy Mouse. And it's not really a detective story. But it wasn't published. And so then publishers said, you know, you may want to look at doing something like that. And he writes this mystery series, which became very successful mm -hmm. and very important for our store because we had Walter for the second book, um, Red Death. Mm -hmm. And, you know, nice signing. But then the next time we had him, he had exploded because President Clinton said he loved Walter Mosley. Mm -hmm. And he went from being an author that had about 50 people at the signing we had to a jam-packed audience. Um, that was packed and CBS morning show was there to film and um, you know it was really a great signing um, mm. and he's always been in our corner mm. um, but I like mysteries and, and I like this one that he's now done um, with a guy named Leonard McGill mm. which is set in New York and he's, Walter there was a dinner for him a few years ago when he was first writing this series and he said he was going to do 10 novels in this series. Mm -hmm. And I think it's his some of his best writing uh, that I've ever read. Uh, it's really good. Um, but also, you know, there are books. There's one called The Psychopathic Racial Personality in America mm -hmm. by a psychologist named Bobby Wright. I think it's one of the most important books in the store. 
Um, and I think when I was in college and I would talk to my, in classes like pol political science classes and mm -hmm. I realized these guys, they're not stupid. And we're outside of Detroit, right out in Dearborn, mm -hmm. um, Michigan. I said, they know that Dearborn, Orville Hubbard was the mayor and he had said he would never allow blacks to live in Dearborn. Mm. They knew that. They would say, oh, they didn't know all of that. They didn't know how it came about. Oh, they, they knew it. They're not stupid. Mm -hmm. They didn't care. And I realized one day that not all of them, but a great deal of them are psychopathic, mm -hmm. which is not considered a mental illness um, by psychiatry. Um, they consider it the absence of feeling, mm -hmm. but it doesn't mean that you're, you know, you don't know what you're doing. They just didn't care. Mm -hmm. So when I read the psychopath racial personality by Bobby Wright, he says the same thing. Mm -hmm. And it was the first time I had heard a black psychologist because when I took psychology courses, there was never any discussion of black psychology. Mm -hmm. Um, there were never any talk about um, black psychologists mm -hmm. or, uh, or social therapists or even a theory of black psychology. And this was one of the first people I'd read who said that these people are psychopathic or sociopathic mm -hmm. uh, or whatever they mm -hmm. call it. And so I've always said that in America you have a lot of people who just don't care. Mm -hmm. And you're not going to convince them. Mm -hmm. uh, and that, I think Dr. King, you know, he's one of the greatest Americans, I think, ever. Um, and, and you still hear this refrain. Um, you hear it from Biden. You hear it um, from a lot of people that somehow you're going to reach that 74 million that voted for um, Donald Trump. Mm -hmm. And I think Donald Trump is the first openly racist president I lived under. Mm. Racist white supremacist president. Mm -hmm. um, I think not only is he a white supremacist, but I think he's a racist because mm -hmm. those comments that he made historically about no, he didn't want blacks in Trump Towers, he didn't want blacks working mm -hmm. in his administration, not in his administration, but in his businesses, that to me is racism. You just, you know, you don't like somebody on the basis of their color. Mm -hmm. White supremacy is that you believe white should be in power, the comments he made. So the, all of that. Mm -hmm. And then the way that he handles COVID mm -hmm. um, just shows an indifference to human life. Um, mm -hmm. They didn't care. They knew, they know what the mask meant. They, they, yeah. They're not stupid people. They understood all of that. But they also know that there is a a die-hard strain in this country that believes in this conspiracy stuff, this QAnon stuff, mm -hmm. it's beyond understanding. Mm -hmm. um, but we see it all in the sixth. Um, you know, you see it with the capital testimony of these police officers. Uh, the white police officers faced horrible stuff that day. Mm -hmm. um, but they weren't called racial names like um, the black ones and the, mm -hmm. and the um, Dominicans or the Hispanic mm -hmm. ones. Um, there was a vicious hate of them and, and that's psychopathology. They, these people don't care mm -hmm. um, about, you know, let's all love each other. They don't care. Yeah. Um, in the last four years, I think we have seen with the shootings and all of this stuff in churches and synagogues that there's a diehard strain of people that are 
just you're not going to reach them mm -hmm. and they're psychopathic that's why bobby wright's book to me is the first one i read uh, the autobiography of malcolm x because I grew up and, and knew people that fell into drugs and, and then mm -hmm. turned to petty crime that some of them ended up going to jail. Mm -hmm. That to me, the value of Malcolm X's life is that here's a guy who faced the worst possible th things that America could throw at him. Um, mm -hmm. When his father is killed, um, the criminal justice system and uh, not criminal justice, but the the judicial system in Michigan abuses that family in a way that is almost unbelievable. Mm. Um, and they had nobody there to help protect them. And it will lead Malcolm, the psychological trauma of your father being killed, the psychological trauma that is inflicted on them when they were in Kansas and the Klan shows up and mm. wants to um, burn their house down. All of that stuff will lead him to falling into drugs and crime and, and other behaviors. And then he figures out a way to turn it all around. Um, and you never hear, once he gets out of jail, you never hear about him going back and doing drugs and crime and any of that. And even though I'm not the biggest fan of the religious organization or so-called religious organization that he joins mm -hmm. um, I don't think he was strong enough to break away from that in the psychological damage he had suffered I don't mm -hmm. think he was strong enough mm -hmm. to overcome that but he changes and I think for far too many people we don't make the options available for them to change that back in the late 60s and 70s instead of having a rehabilitation movement in prisons we started almost a mass incarceration movement mm -hmm. in prisons. And that has led to people going in and out of prisons. And so Malcolm's book to me is a great book about somebody who turned his life around mm -hmm. from crime and poverty um, and, and despicable behavior mm -hmm. um, and turns his life around. So, you know, those are some of the books um, that we always reframe. But you know, I read, I just read this book called Nightmare Scenario mm -hmm. about the year of COVID. And I thought, ah, do you really want to hear, read a book about this stuff? <laughs> but it's, it's a page turn. Mm. It really is because the Trump administration knew back in early January, mm. people within the administration knew that COVID was going to be a pandemic. Mm -hmm. And they just let it happened yeah uh, they didn't do anything and it doesn't matter how incompetent he was as a president um, his followers still believed in him and i thought it was just a great great book um and now i'm reading a book about cuba a mystery but it's mm. it's a mystery but it's not it's also a literary sort of thing because it's about a a detective who was investigating um, what's happened to this black Madonna, a seated black Madonna mm. and child. And the black and the child, of course, is depicted as black, mm -hmm. um, as many of the black Madonnas are um, in Europe and other places. Um, um, the, the woman is, and the baby who's 
supposed to be baby Jesus are depicted as black. Mm -hmm. There have been books written about the black Madonna and all that, but it's pretty good. And um, if I hadn't been watching the Olympics so much, I probably would have been far more long in the book, but it's pretty good. So, you know, but we read a lot of books. There are a lot of very good books that have come out um, in the pandemic, but I've been reading more uh, m mainly mysteries, not sci. I was gonna say sci-fi, but I can't mm. think of any sci-fi that I've read. Mm. Mainly mysteries. Great. That will conclude our interview with James Fugate of So One Books. There were many titles that James mentioned during our interview. I will recap them here. He mentioned Mama Day by Gloria Naylor, Dreams for My Father, The Water Dancer, What Color Is Your Parachute, The Cheneysville Incident, Walter Mosley's Easy Rollins, The Psychopathic Racial Personality by Bobby Wright, The Autobiography of Malcolm X, Nightmare Scenario, and The Transparency of Time. I hope you enjoyed this episode, and I look forward to hosting the next one. As always, please visit library.cityofinglewood.org to learn more about our other programming and to acquire a digital library card. <laughs>